Welcome to the Conscious Clinician Podcast. We have honest conversations about the triumphs and challenges of pelvic health physical therapy. Each week, we bring you inspiration and practical tips to thrive in your work. And now, here's your hosts, Dr. Monica Stefanovich and Dr. Sammy Steele. Welcome back to the Conscious Clinician, everyone. Hey, Sammy. Hey, Monica. So for this episode, we wanted to continue with the thread of patient-centered communication. And we asked ourselves, when does patient-centered communication break down? And what we realized is when there's another person in the room. For today's episode, we wanted to present a case vignette. For me personally, I just had a batch of new interns come in and shadow me at work. And so I have been experiencing what it's like to have this additional third party in the room and how that's affected the dynamics of the session. So picture this. You've got this intern, very eager young student who's getting their shadowing hours for PT school, and they want to impress you. So they're trying to be super friendly in the session and chit chat with your patient, which is great. However, you're getting started with an internal exam, about to insert your finger into the patient's vagina to do a pelvic floor exam, and the intern starts asking the patient where they're from and how their day was and where they got their shirt. So you're having this patient who is trying to focus on their exam, but this intern is trying to interject and be friendly at a really weird time. So after that point in time, you may give the student a little okay, we're going to get started with the exam now. And they take the hint, they stop talking, which is great. And then during the exam, the intern is helping you with the objective measures. They're helping you write down some of the parts of the exam for later so you can save some time on your notes. And they're asking you things like, okay, well, what's their strength score for the perf? What is their endurance? What does their cough reflex look like? Whatever. And you're reading these things out to them. And you start to notice that the patient is getting a little anxious. And they're asking you things like, well, is that okay? Well, what does that mean? What what does a three out of five mean? What does an endurance of six seconds over 10 repetitions mean? Is that good? Is that bad? And you start to see that interaction change. We've all been there. I'm sure you're imagining right now a time where you have had this happen and you leave the session and you're not quite feeling good with the patient. You know, you tried to salvage it. And at the same time, you want the student to learn, but you're feeling frustrated because of how it affected the session too. What's going on here? So I think that there's a couple things at play here. First of all, how does that third party affect how you interact with the patient as a provider? And secondly, how does having that third person in the room affect the dynamic between all parties? So let's jump into how this affects your relationship with the patient and kind of that patient-provider rapport. Right. My first thought with this is that, especially in the scenario of reading out the exam measures, of telling the patient and narrating what you're finding for the purposes of the student's learning, my experience is that this creates unnecessary anxiety in the patient because our job as providers is to sum up the information, the relevant findings that we have discovered with the exam, and then feed those to the patient in a digestible way. And if we're overloading them with those minutiae, it's going to be too much for them. They don't have the context for it. So that would be my first thought there is that, you know, we're going to have this 
large effect on our rapport with the patient if we're giving them so much nitty gritty information that they start feeling uncomfortable and anxious. That's a great point, Sammy. And right as you say that, the first thing I think of is you got to know your patient. Some of our patients who already are higher on the fear avoidance or the pain catastrophizing spectrum are probably the ones who will struggle with that minutia of feedback. And they're going to want to take everything in because they're on high alert. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Is that going to change the way my treatment happens? And other patients are really go with the flow. They, you know, they seem open to it. They might be curious, but they realize that somebody is learning. And so they're not going to get caught up in all the details. Maybe they already have that rapport with you to where they know okay, the situation's a little different. We have a student and they're not going to be as affected by it. So I think how much it affects the session depends on who that person is and who that student is, right? Because there are also students who are more go with the flow. We'll chat about it after. And there are students who will want to know everything in the minute and have you explain it and ask you follow-up questions about it. So one question I have is how do you prepare the student and how do you prepare the patient for having a successful interaction? Ooh, I can certainly speak to the first part, which is how do you prepare the student when it comes to pelvic health in particular? I recently had a a batch of interns who were interested in pelvic health, which was really cool. I'm very excited to see more interest in the field, but... I was able to have the time to speak to them before the sessions and really help them understand their role in the session. The first thing that I asked them is, imagine that you're at the gynecologist's office and you've got an extra person in the room observing. How would you want them to behave? First and foremost, what would make you feel comfortable if you were naked on the table? And so I think that gets them thinking about professional behavior, things like that. And then also getting really specific with them about, you know, I I think it's great when you interact with the patient, chatting is fine, but also know when is an appropriate time. While I have a finger in somebody's body may not be the most appropriate time. So during an internal exam, the patient really needs to focus on the task at hand. They're a little distracted. Maybe they're feeling overwhelmed or scared or any emotion Internal exams tend to bring out more of that than other types of exams. And so that may not be the best time to engage them in conversation. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things that I bring up with them. I talk to them about even things as specific as where to sit. You know, I ask them to sit kind of up near the patient's head or at their side and only come down to observe their perineum if the patient is okay with it and if it's somebody that I've kind of vetted ahead of time. And I think that. When we're talking about training, not just for interns, but for anybody, specificity is great. Knowing what your clear expectations are, getting some specifics is going to make everyone's job a little easier. So that's my big takeaway is that the interns that I was more specific with, I felt like we had a much better interaction within the session and they knew what was expected of them. So you set those boundaries and those expectations, which help people thrive. Like we all need to know what is okay and what is not okay, especially if it's the first time we see a vaginal exam. I mean, we cannot assume that everyone will have a 
quote unquote professional reaction to it. Some people are more expressive. You know, some people are going to be trying to get in there and see what's going on. Really, we have all different types of learners. So I love how you're taking the time to prepare everybody for success. I will do my best to tackle the second part. How do you prepare the patient? (laughs) That's tougher. (laughs) That is so much tougher. And I guess in an ideal world, we would be able to let the patient know well in advance and we might have some time to get to know them anyways, you know, to bring Mm -hmm. them back, to chat for a few minutes, to gauge where they're at. Are they really ramped up? Are they really nervous? Are they more calm? Are they more curious? Are they more open? And then bring the student in. That's an ideal world. And in that world, we would start with the open and curious and friendly people. And we would help the student build up their confidence and their professional skill set and their rapport building. And then we would bring in the tougher, quote unquote, tougher to treat people. But we don't live in an ideal world, and I am an idealist, so I just had to get that out there. (laughs) What I think we can do with the patient, though, is have that extremely high threshold for consent. Hmm. Back to episode 32 with Dr. Tasha, we talk about consent for obstetric procedures, and we use the acronym FRIES. So go back and listen to it, but we want to have enthusiastic consent We want to let them know it's ongoing consent that at any point during the exam, if they do not want that student in the room anymore or that third party observing, it's okay. They don't have to consent to 100% of the process. They can consent along the way. So maybe with a pelvic patient, this is they can sit in for the subjective, but during the exam, I do not want the third person in the room and then Maybe we talk at the end. So really making sure that if that person hesitates, I'm going to go ahead and say no on their behalf. If they give me that long pause that, (laughs) you know, if they stop walking, because a lot of times I'd have this conversation as I'm walking them back to the room and they kind of stop and they're like, uh, uh, yeah, I guess so. That's a no. You know, don't worry about it. Reassign, go read an article you know, go find me a great article on constipation in the last five years. We'll chat about it. That would probably be the best we can do on the patient side. And then I think we can prep again with the student. And if it's a more advanced student, if it's someone that we've already worked with a couple times, we can start to ask them, pay attention to this person's demeanor. What are you picking up on them? Are you getting fear? Are you getting anxiety? Are you getting nervousness? Are you getting acceptance? What's their level of self-efficacy? And so they can have a mental task as well during the session. And then you can talk about how does that affect your rapport? How might you jump in differently with this type of person versus this type of person, right? Because we're not going to be the same way with everyone we see. But I think sometimes our students, especially the new ones, just try to be super friendly with Mm. everybody. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) They're nervous, right? They're like, they want to be gung-ho. They want to impress you. And they're just trying to do what they can in that scenario. So I think remembering back to when you were a student is so helpful in that respect because it's easy to get frustrated sometimes. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I probably did the same thing. (laughs) 
Yeah. And you're excited. I remember I was so excited. Like, oh my God, I'm here. I'm finally learning about the thing. I get to shadow. And like, for some people, they've been dealing with pain for 15, 20 years. This is terrifying. This is vulnerable. They might not want to sit there and chat about the weather or they may, but you got to read the patient. Absolutely. Going back to your statement about consent, love that. When we ask a patient if they're okay with a student shadowing, I think that asking in a private space is also really important. I always try to bring my patients back to the room, close the door, and then ask them in a way that they know that no is an option. And Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is sometimes it's so easy to say, is it okay if the student shadows? And yeah, they can say yes or no, but sometimes I'll say, are you okay with the student shadowing or would you prefer not to have them in the room? Because you're creating that second option and saying it out loud so that they feel more comfortable to say, actually, I'd prefer if they sat out. And they're not in a scenario where the student's watching them and they're having to say no to this person that's standing right in front of them, which can be a very high pressure situation. So with pelvic health clients in particular, I'm really careful to bring them back, shut the door and say, hey, are you okay with that today? They can sit in for part of the exam, just the talking part, or they can sit in for the whole thing, whatever you're comfortable with, or they can sit out if you would prefer. And love so I it. think that's that's a huge piece of consent. I love the the ongoing piece that you mentioned as well. And then the other thing that I always try to do is introduce my student in a particular way. I think back to this clinical instructor that I had in my final year of school. I did a pelvic health rotation and I just remember being so grateful and impressed by how she would introduce me to clients. So every time that she would bring back a client and say, hey, I've got this student, she would say, Sammy's a third-year student. She goes to UCSF. She has done lots of training in pelvic health and is hoping to go into this field, and she is hoping to sit in and learn more from your session. Would you be okay with having her in? What I mean, someone's going to respond so differently to that than like, oh, I've got this random student. Can they sit in? Right? right? Like she was framing it in a way that made the patient feel comfortable with me and confident in me. And I just, I've always taken that into my intern sessions as well. So if I have an intern sitting in, I'm not going to lie about their qualifications or anything, but I'm going to say, hey, this is so-and-so. They go to UC Davis and they're applying to PT school right now. They're really interested in learning about pelvic health and passionate about this field. Would it be okay if they shadowed today and just sat in? And most of the time, the patients respond so differently to that. When I don't take the time to say that, a lot of them are like, nah. (laughs) So I think that's a really key thing, too, is just introducing your intern, student, resident, whoever it is, in a way that makes the patient feel confident and comfortable with them. Absolutely. And on the flip side, for anyone who's in residency or having a mentor in the room, you taking that ownership is really important. We talk about this so much in our residency now, which is not to say I have a mentor or I have this more senior person, but to say I am in a residency program. It's a postgraduate program that specializes in pelvic health. And while I work towards that specialty certification, this person helps me refine my skills. Is it okay for them to be in the room? Mm, Because sometimes, yeah, sometimes they're like, oh, that's the person who knows it and you're the one in training. 
Because remember, residency to people means not experienced. Mm -hmm. And in PT, it's different. Residencies, you already are a licensed physical therapist. You may have already been practicing. I had a year of practice when I was a resident. So it's not like I was brand new out of the gate, but people hear resident and just think that. So taking the time to explain whoever it is and making that situation really approachable to the patient. I love the way you're pitching it with such specificity. Again, like they want to do pelvic health. They are here to learn. And when they hesitate, we take it as a no. And we say, nope, that's yep. okay. 100%. <laughs> you hear and, that pause and you're like, nope, it's good. It's good. We're going to just do the two of us today. That's all good. Absolutely. And I've never regretted it to that oh point. Oh my gosh, I have, totally. I've had mentors that I've had to say, no, the patient didn't consent to. I've had residents that were supposed to shadow me that didn't, students, observers, whoever. And I have never, ever, ever ended that session and been like, you know what? We really did need the third person in the room. It's always been to the benefit of the patient. So in order to be patient-centered, you really got to be patient-centered. And this person will have so many other learning opportunities. It's not worth creating that air of hesitation, nervousness, anxiety in the patient. Like it is absolutely not worth it. And I think we have to keep in mind that our patients have to be our priority in this situation. The student can't be the priority. Like you said, they will have chances to learn. They will have plenty of other shadowing opportunities. But when somebody's coming in for healthcare, they're in a really vulnerable place. They're coming in for your assistance and your guidance, and they need to feel comfortable with the care that they're seeking. So I think that clarifying who I feel most responsible to also helps me to not feel guilty if a patient doesn't consent because I just go, okay, yeah, go find an article or go help another PT with this task. We'll reconvene later. And knowing that the patient is my ultimate responsibility helps me feel fine with that. Okay, so now let's go back to the second question for reflection in this situation, which is how does having three or more parties in the room affect the dynamic between everybody? And this is where it is so much focus to be a teacher, Because I can think back to when I was a resident and I had a student. Our residency required that we take a student. Oh, my goodness. That's intense. (laughs) So get this. I'm in the room. I have a patient. The patient has said yes to my student and to my mentor who would come in twice a week to observe me mentoring my student. Oh, my gosh. That's intense. (laughs) Everybody take a deep breath. So I bring up that situation because there's a lot of different titles. There's mentor, there's resident, there's student, there's patient. And we can think of this like a hierarchy. And as a student, and even as a resident, and even for a while as a provider, I did think of this as a hierarchy. Like I am the one at the top because I'm the board certified mentor. And then there might be the resident. And then there is the student. And the patient is kind of the bottom of the pyramid. But when we operate in that way, we are creating this power dynamic in the room 
that doesn't necessarily need to be there. I think that we can actually be more fluid and more learning focused and just ask ourselves, what could this person learn in this experience? What are they here for? You know, the patient is here for their health care. They're actually at the top. We got to invert the pyramid and say that the most attention has to go to the patient. Then we need to put attention to the student because I, as the provider, need to see, okay, what is the student doing here? Do they need to be brought in check? Do they need to be kind of pushed to try something new with the patient because this patient is a great candidate for it? So they might be the second point of focus for me after the patient. And then if I'm the mentor, then I'm also thinking of the resident, if the resident also has a student, which is not as common. But I almost think of it like when we invert the pyramid and I might be the one, quote unquote, that's the tip of the pyramid, you know, I'm the practitioner. I have the most responsibility to manage this pyramid because now this pyramid is balancing on a fine point, right? And Mm -hmm. if I'm not... If I'm not trying to like keep in mind these different factors, then the pyramid could fall over and it could fall in a way that doesn't serve the people who are there. So it's a lot of responsibility, but I think that if we focus in that order, what is most important to the patient and then how am I watching these additional people in the room, we can really create a collaborative environment where everybody gets to walk away with something. The patient gets to feel like they had an excellent session with additional people. They get to feel good that somebody learned from them, or they get to feel good that they helped somebody experience healthcare in a great way. The student gets to feel like they were part of it. If we're monitoring that that pyramid, we're asking ourselves, what could they learn? Are they participating enough? Where do I push them? Where do I reel them back in? We can have such a great session and really make it a learning environment to where the learner is more excited to learn, the patient is more excited about healthcare, and then you feel like you're really fulfilled, like you were helping all those people in different ways, and we can feel really grateful and also probably a little tired because that is honest. (laughs) Yeah. It's so much to think about. It's so much to think about. But if you plan that thought process ahead of time, if you're thinking to yourself, what is most important for this patient? What can this student learn from this patient? And we already go in with that kind of foresight. We're going to navigate it so differently than if it's just like, hey, let's hop in. Okay. They said, yes, let's figure it out. Da, 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 da. You know, I'm kind of all over the place. I want to make sure the student gets to try everything, but is this an appropriate person for the student to do it on? You know, are Mm -hmm. are we asking ourselves that? So that's an inverted pyramid. I came up with that on the spot. I like it. I like it. That was a great visual. I think that that's, that's so key. When you're the person with the most experience in the room, it really is on you to use that experience to guide the session in a way that everyone wins or at the very least guided in a way where the patient gets what they need, you know, and that may be that you need to have somebody sit out, but right. that's, I think that's the, the judgment and the responsibility that you take on in that role. Yep. Do no harm. Absolutely. 
And I, I think it's really great to bring up both the pitfalls and the benefits. In my experience, there there have been quite a few pitfalls. I've had some awkward sessions as I'm trying to figure this out and learn. You know, this is my first year ever having interns. I'm a new grad. So it's been really interesting to see what doesn't work. But it's also really fun to see the ways where it works really well or the, the things that I get from my students too. I mean, I think the other thing to mention is that if you're open as an instructor, you're going to learn a lot from your students too. I had an amazing intern this quarter who asked me these questions that would make me just pause and reflect on my own practice. She's super insightful and really knowledgeable. And I I was really impressed with her observation. We had some really interesting discussions after the session about, you know, what did you pick up on with that patient? What was the phrase that they used that that told you something. Oh, that patient said she was really disturbed by her condition and she said it several times. That was interesting. What do you think about giving her a, you know, pain catastrophizing scale, you know? And this was the intern asking me these questions. So it was really, wow. really cool to see. And it made me feel so good that she was picking up on that. And then I think the other thing to keep in mind as well is that when the student can act as almost a check for us in our patient mm. education. So if I'm explaining the patient's condition to them, and I'm saying, this is what I think is going on with your problem. This is what we could do to solve it. And giving them that prognosis, that explanation, my assessment of them. I try to use that patient-friendly language all the time. But a lot of patients won't necessarily tell you if you miss the mark, if they don't understand. Some of them might have a dynamic with healthcare where they, they don't feel comfortable to ask those follow-up questions. So if you have a student after the fact and they don't get it, you probably miss the mark a little bit. So sometimes I've had students ask me, well, like, what, what does that mean when you said this thing? And I'm thinking, oh, shit, I probably didn't explain that well to the patient either. So that was a, a good thing for me as well. I think I, I got a lot more than I expected in terms of my own learning by having somebody else in the room. Having to teach it and simplify it so that the person understands, so that the person being either the patient or the student is so incredible and also can f trigger a good amount of imposter syndrome if that is something you're not quite aware of in yourself. If you view questions as a threat to your knowledge or as a challenge to what you do know, uh, mm -hmm. it might be hard to create that collaborative win-win atmosphere because you might always feel like you have to have the right answer to the student and you have to always be coming up with the best plan. And I found that the most learning doesn't happen when you're convinced you have the right answers. The best learning happens when you're willing to be vulnerable and ask a question, or you're willing to be curious and dig a little deeper into a situation you might have normally let go. So Go back to the episode on imposter syndrome if you find yourself needing to have the answers with all your students, with whoever else is in the room. And I want to go back one more time to the power dynamic pyramid because one thing that came up for me is this idea of the old hierarchy. And I, I don't think I quite explained that, but in this typical hierarchy, the person that is the most important is the one with the most experience. And then experience, 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 and then finally the patient. This assumes that the person with the most experience has the answer and that the patient is the least informed and that needs to be educated 
and I'm putting up air quotes here. And this dynamic leaves me wanting so much more from the session when I've been the person at the top and left me wanting so much more from my provider when I've been the patient. When I go see that doctor that they know everything and they're just rattling off answers to their student and they're not really having that collaborative back and forth, that more open environment, when they're just educating me, again, in air quotes, and not asking me the questions that really matter when it comes to my health and changing my health for the better. So that was originally what I had in mind. And that, to sum up the dynamics of everyone in the room, comes down to how willing we are to create that collaborative win-win atmosphere. Because if we have to have the answers, if we're fueled by imposter syndrome or anything else that could contribute to that dynamic, we're not going to be able to do it. We're only going to take these people as far as we are able to go. So being a conscious clinician in this situation makes me think of responsibility, of mindfulness to all parties in the situation, to being able to trust, letting go of some of our need to control everything and allow things to unfold and respond to them versus reacting to them to create that win-win environment for everybody. I so agree with that. I think that the key here is reflection and being conscious of your role in the session and your responsibilities. I have found that the most important aspect of being a mentor or a supervisor for any of the students that are in my session is really to take the time to understand why they're behaving a certain way and not attribute anything to it, not assume that they're doing something a certain way because they're lazy or ignorant or any of these negative words that we ascribe to people, but instead try to understand where they're coming from and what might have motivated them to behave in that way and then just address it head on and be a professional and adult about it. And I think that gets us the results that we're looking for instead of this awkwardness that can arise out of a frustrated supervisor-supervisee interaction. So I'm excited to develop my skills in this over time. I was laughing the other day with my husband because you know I used to be a supervisor in a grocery store and I always thought, oh, I'm a pretty good supervisor. And being in this situation where the stakes feel higher to me and the stakes feel like, you know, this is my profession, this is my passion, it made me realize that I have a long way to go. And I was just laughing about that, but I'm, I'm excited to learn. So I think this is a, a good journey to be on. And you care. So the other thing, Sammy, for you and for everyone else listening is if you really care about preserving the patient-centered communication, about ensuring that your student has a great experience, it means you're already taking that moment to pause and say, this is important to me. The next question is, how do I facilitate that? And hopefully we've left you with some food for thought today maybe some ideas of what you can implement, and know that there's no perfect answer. Every student and patient will be unique, and all three of you are going to have a unique dynamic together. So 
if you're mindful and if you're present and if you're willing to get curious about what you feel and what you could do, I think you're going to be set up for success regardless of who is there with you. Yeah, I think a humility and a willingness to learn are the first things that we need. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening in, everyone. We enjoyed this conversation and look forward to hearing some feedback about it online on Instagram or Facebook. And stay tuned for the next episode. Stay conscious, everyone. Stay conscious, everyone. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Let's keep the conversation going on Instagram at The Conscious Clinician and Facebook backslash The Conscious Clinician. Links are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review for the podcast to grow our community. Stay conscious, everyone.